Hey there, and welcome to episode 33 of the Eyes Free Sports Podcast. I guess we could call this the triple-double episode, to borrow a basketball term. As usual, this is your host, Greg Lindbergh, here. On this episode, we are featuring part two of our chat with Joshua the Jedi Loya. And just in case you missed it, be sure to check out episode 32 of the podcast uh, to catch part one of this conversation. So here in part two of the chat, Josh uh, gets into briefly how he got into judo, and then he speaks a lot about his surfing career as a totally blind surfer and many of the events and competitions he's had the chance to participate in, uh, in addition to ones that he's actually won. He also talks about skydiving and uh, some other really cool experiences he's had uh, that are pretty unique, along with just some introspection about his life, uh, relationships with past coaches, and just uh, some really interesting anecdotes that I think are very beneficial to hear and that you'll find uh, pretty fascinating. So let's get rolling here with part two here on episode 33. (laughs) So I did want to transition to water sports and uh, yeah. so, so was it surfing then? Was that really the first water sport that you got into? I tried like like water skiing just for fun, you know, when I was first blind. But really where the surfing thing came about, so in 2016, I quit my job. I was, I was working um, at uh, primarily at Braille Institute in the San Diego campus, but I was also doing some additional contract work. And I just was particularly unfulfilled wasn't wasn't uh, and and so I had quit specifically to do martial arts um, to work with a pretty high level judo coach at the time but on a whim I tried surfing just because there was a blind surf event that was just hmm. literally it was the it was the day after my last day at, at Braille Institute <laughs> so my last my last day of work uh, for BIA was uh, August 19th of 2016 and then I went to a very handholdy, very let's let's make sure nobody gets hurt. Let's make sure the blind people get to experience what it's like to go surfing, kind of thing. Right. And and you know those events have their place, and I think that's that's where you start, maybe. Uh, and I I got it. I liked it. And granted, I grew up in Santa Cruz, right? Santa Cruz is. I know there's some people out there from Huntington Beach. I'm sorry, Huntington Beach. Santa Cruz is the original surf city. Those who are surfers will understand the the the, the rivalry there. But yeah, I tried surfing and I was around surfers all this all I used to watch surfers when I could still see on the end of Santa Cruz Wharf. And then, you know, my jiu-jitsu coach, Joel Tudor, who became my primary Brazilian jiu-jitsu instructor, their whole thing is surf fight jiu-jitsu. It's 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 absolutely in, in ingrained in the culture. There's an over huge overlap in surf culture and jiu-jitsu culture. And I tried it. I was like, man, this is fun. I want to do this for real sometime. <laughs> and I, I really didn't get into doing it very well, very consistently after that one experience, because at the time I was taking a crack at getting good at judo. Um, I was oh, I training see. with, uh, with Justin Flores, who was, uh, probably most well-known. He was a, an Olympic alternate, I think in 2004, 2008. And he worked very closely with Ronda Rousey and helping her um, apply her judo specifically oh, wow. to her uh, mixed martial arts career. Now judo is very specific, very specialized, very narrow set of circumstances. It's also really, really hard. And even with my, at the time, over a decade of martial arts training, I didn't get good enough at judo fast enough in order to take a crack at Tokyo like I had wanted to. That's okay. 
but it did get me into training. I got my, my physical fitness up even more so than it was at the time. And, and I, I can actually circle back around to that at some point, but specifically it got me thinking, doing more scary stuff on purpose. And hmm. then I was just kind of hanging out and scrolling through my phone and Joel, my jujitsu coach, who was, is still actually world famous longboard uh, competitor. So if anybody who knows surfing, they look up Joel Tudor, they'll see like, oh, dang, he knows some stuff. <laughs> um, he, uh, he tagged me in a Facebook comment and said, hey, Josh, check this, check this out. And uh, it was another. They changed the date for that blind surfing event that I had gone to previously. And so I went and I, I told the people, they were like, hey, I want to really try to do this for real. I don't want anybody to help me stand up. I want to paddle and I want to learn how to stand up on the board myself. Yep. And so I, I did that. And, uh, my now former coach, very thankfully. So, um, I, I can get into that actually. I, in fact, I'd like to some of the, the dangers in working, uh, at potential exploitation of al- athletes. But at the time, uh, he saw me and was like, Hey, you know, you got a talent. I, I, you know, cause a lot of the whole thing of being able to stand up quickly, that transfers over very significantly from martial arts. Sure. You, know, you don't want to stay yeah. on the ground. And so being able to stand up quickly got me prepared for surfing. I didn't know how to surf freely, but I knew how to stand up quickly and I had decent balance. And he said, Hey, if you ever want to get into competitive surfing, let me know. and I'll get you ready. And, you know, a few months later, uh, he gets in touch with me on Facebook or text or whatever. And he goes, Hey, the, you know, the U S open, uh, adaptive surfing championships is in less than two months. You register and I'll get you ready. I'm like, uh, yeah, sure. But you know, it's like, I was like, uh, I'll, I'll go ahead and do this and I'll, I'll, I'll go ahead and sign up <laughs> yep. and, uh, true to his word. Um, he got me ready and I, I, uh, came in third place in the money beating out at the time, uh, the current. Uh, visually impaired champ of the US. Um, oh, wow. Yeah. And now granted, he had been my coach's student. And so maybe that was a little bit, he he was getting used to working with a new coach. I don't know. But I, I did well. Thought I was like, hey, after less than two months, I, I can't handle it. And then I learned how to surf for real. And I was like, you know what? This is my lane. I'm going to keep, and I kept getting better. Less than a year after that, uh, I was the first totally blind surfer to surf Kelly Slater's uh, wave pool at the surf ranch in Lamar, California. That was pretty amazing. Nice. Um, yeah. And it, that was beyond, that was so weird for me to be an absolute beginner surfer. And all my friends who'd been surfing for like decades were like, <laughs> you're, you're lucky. Like they were like so bad. <laughs> um, and How then did that happened. Yeah. 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 And then, uh, so th- so then actually at the, the first nationals, uh, U.S. nationals, uh, you know, they adapted surfing championships. So the, the, the U.S. Open was an open contest. You had people from all over the world that had the nationals. That was, oddly enough, also in the San Diego area. I was really fortunate in that regard. And uh, I competed against that same guy that I had beat at the, uh, uh, the U.S. Open. And I won. I became the U.S. Uh, and member of the USA team. And uh, went to Hawaii in August of that year and then came back around at that same U.S. Open. The second year I competed in, I came in first in the visually impaired category against uh, at least one surfer that actually had some residual eyesight. And eventually I got to com- uh, later that year, I represented Team USA for the uh, ISA World, uh, at the time, Adaptive Surfing Ch- Championships. Now it's the ISA 
world parasurfing championships, all that, that language change, you know? Sure. Um, yeah. But, uh, but yeah, I got, it kept going. And, and then, uh, 2019, um, I did surf unopposed at the nationals that year, but you know, if you don't compete, you don't win. <laughs> so I, right. I, I kept my, my slot on the team for 2019. Didn't end up making it to Hawaii in 2019, unfortunately, but I came back and, uh, kept going, surfed at the U S open again, unfortunately came in second, but I did well. Uh, and then the last competition I had was March. Well, in-person competition, I should say, because I did do a couple of video submission contests. Uh, we had the uh, U. Trying to make sure I get this right. It's a long. It's a big mouthful. It was the Amp Surf ISA World Parasurfing Championships. There we go. <laughs> Got it out. <laughs> you can see what I mean. Uh, oh, yeah. But that was uh, that was March fourteenth of 2020 was the very last day of the contest oh, and wow. we, we were able to just barely get it in under the wire. Um, it was in La Jolla, which so much of adaptive surfing is right in my backyard. I live in San Diego County and, and a lot of it is right here. And, uh, what was really kind of exciting for me about competing at the world parasurfing championship this year or last year was, well, it was probably two things. One uh, three things maybe. Uh, one was uh, it was blind people only, and then visually impaired people only. So you had you had two different divisions. Up until that time, uh, it was pretty much if you had visual impairment, you were surfing against other people with a visual impairment, whether they had any remaining eyesight or not. Oh, and not to, not to disagree or, or dismiss any of the talent, uh, people like Matt Formston from Australia, who's an amazing. Uh, surfer. You also have Melissa Reed from uh, from England, who's an amazing surfer. Both of them have remaining eyesight, and so the types of techniques and things they can do on a board, you know, they can see the wave, they can see the you know some of that right in front of them, and they, they can make different choices. Uh, for me, I have to go by sound and feel once I'm actually on that wave, and so I I don't have the same maneuverability uh, and options that they might. And so it was really cool to see honest competition where ability likability was with likability and that was really exciting uh, i made uh took fourth uh so I, I they uh if you got fourth or above you get hit the podium so uh, i guess technically a copper medal and that was pretty exciting to be able to you know i guess top american top totally blind surfer in the world at least as far as that was concerned anyway that was pretty awesome sure but the but the most important thing for me and this is this is really important. Whether somebody is a surfer, whether somebody is a goalball player, whether somebody is a uh, endurance athlete, it's your coaches matter, but your effort makes makes the difference. So in February of like less than a month before the the contest was going to take place, I had a very uh, acrimonious. Uh, parting of ways with my former coach. There was a lot of, and, and since then I've kind of unpacked it. There was a lot of really messed up stuff that was happening hmm. during the time that I was working with my former coach. Um, but I started working with my now current coach and, and really good friend, uh, John White, uh, in February, um, just less than a month before the contest. And he got me to, he got me to have more of a positive headspace again. He got me to like surfing 
because I, I basically actually stopped enjoying surfing because it became all about the competition for me, wow. um, all about the the spectacle, all about the oh, let, you know, uh, when Ellen calls us, then we'll then we'll make it, and it, <laughs> it, it became really toxic and gross, and I, oh, yeah. I didn't enjoy it anymore. I it, I was like somebody's inspiration porn poster kid and somebody's meal ticket to be able to get. Uh, <laughs> the reason I'm specifically not mentioning my my former coach is because even still, like I saw in my my Facebook newsfeed a year ago, you know, uh, USABA, the United States Association of Blind Athletes did a story on me and it, you know, all the photo credits are courtesy of his serving Academy. And, hmm. uh, it, it got gross, but John white, uh, organization called waves for all. Um, he started working with me more regularly. And, uh, you know, when you're in the, in a surf competition, um, your your coach can't touch you at all. It's all you got to do all your own paddling, all your own turning, and everything else, board manipulation. But they will be out there with you, and they'll call waves for you because if you're just surfing with your friends, it doesn't matter if you catch it right away. But you only have 15 minutes sometimes, as little as that, to catch the waves for your heat. You might be fortunate enough to have as much of, you know, as a half hour, but you really need to dial in that communication, have somebody understands your abilities and all of that. So you can have that, that teamwork. And it was validating to my own competency as a surfer that I placed even having a brand new coach. And what was really cool is that once I realized that it, I wasn't just winning because I was working with my former coach, it wasn't just my former coach that got me to win. It was... I actually am good at this. I was able to enjoy it for real. And so um, I've taken a little bit of risk during this last year or so, but I've been a little bit more careful. The nice thing, I joke, I read a longboard. So I'm always, you know, well more than, than six feet away from somebody anyway right. in the water. <laughs> so, yeah. um, but what's been really cool is I've been able to enjoy surfing again. And it's, it's the pure expression. And um, I wish in some respects that I would have had a better introduction to surfing when I first started, but I got started. And thankfully, you know, I'm just getting started. I might be 40 years old, but I don't have a lot of mileage in my body. I don't have a lot of, haven't had too many surgeries or anything like that. And so I plan to be at the Paralympics in 2028 when it's added and I got enough time to actually enjoy surfing for surfing's sake. And if you're not enjoying the sport you're playing, I don't care if you're a boxer. I don't care if you're a jiu-jitsu fighter. I don't care if you're a, a you run and you, you jump hurdles or, or uh, you do high jump, like, like uh, tenor gears or, or whatever, any of that. Um, I think that you have to enjoy it for the pursuit of it yourself. And if you don't, then you're going to burn yourself out a whole lot faster. And, and you need to be with coaches and a support team that respect you as a person as an, and as an athlete. Um, and, and thankfully, I've had the unfortunate, really negative experience with that first coach. It allowed me to really appreciate having a coach that had my best interest in mind and wasn't going to exploit me to perpetuate their own economic or whatever goals they had. Exactly. Yeah. And I, you know, definitely feel for you in having that negative experience, but really glad that you, it sounds like just made such a 180 as far as finding such a positive, you know, experience now with your current coach. Yeah, it, it took a minute, you know, um, and what's cool is um, uh, John was the one who kind of got me trying some other crazy stuff. I mean, he was, he didn't go, oh, you want to do this? I don't know if we can do that. You know, he got me into slacklining 
Um, I, do you know what slacklining is? No, I don't. <laughs> so, so imagine like a, a ribbon, right? So it's like a, maybe like two inches wide, three inches wide. It might be four inches wide, but you yeah. have two ends. It's, it's, so it's not quite tightrope bobbing. Wow. I can't talk. <laughs> I've been paid to give like keynote addresses and apparently I forget and I'm stand-up comedian stuff. You'd think I'd figure out how to speak, but, um, but walking on, on this, it, it, it's a little bit of give on it and you're, you're basically just learning how to walk and keep your balance. You know, um, some people's like, Oh, that's an easy way to break your neck. Well, for him, he's like, well, I don't see why you can't do it. You know? And, and it was, it was that same thing of, Hey, let's just try it. And right. so we, we did that and, you know, we've gone out and we've, um, <laughs> this will give you a, a little bit of a glimpse into what John is like. So, Will, there was one time we were out surfing um, last year. And so we went due west from our our usual surf spot. And, you know, California, you know, the ocean is west. So we kept going further into the ocean, probably out there, maybe 800 yards, well past where the waves are. Hmm. And we're just kind of catching our breath after the long paddle. It's very calm. He told me you could see prop it was like sixty feet deep where we were. You could the ocean was so clear you could actually see the you know, the the floor of the ocean from where we were. And uh very uh very casually he starts talking about all the different species of sharks that there are. You know, we're out in the middle of nowhere. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> so, like, all right, thank you, you know. Good to know. Yeah. Um uh but uh it was it it was uh having somebody who embraces that adversity of your own choosing. I mean, that's huge, you know, cause that's life isn't easy, you know, but you do some of that and, um, you do the things that are scary. It develops courage. You do the things that are difficult. It develops strength. And I think too oftentimes we let the world just beat us up and certain things are going to be more difficult for some people and scarier for some people, but doing those things that are difficult and scary for you. And this is universally you they will help develop perseverance in general, they develop resiliency. You know, a lot of people kind of don't like hearing that word resiliency because we've been through the ringer this last year, but finding things that will help you develop strength. You're not going to get stronger by looking at weights or reading Arnold Schwarzenegger's books. You're going to get stronger by actually lifting the weights. I'm trying so hard not to swear. <laughs> <laughs> Um, you get stronger by literally ripping your muscles apart and letting them build up. You get, right. and, and courage isn't being fearless, fearless. You, you cannot have courage if you're not afraid. I'm afraid every single time I go into the ocean, I'm afraid every single time I step onto a mat and I spar with somebody. Um, I, there was a, a highlight. If you look up a blind guy versus a shock knife, the, uh, Budo brothers did a highlight on me. I was working with my friend, uh, Sifu Harinder Singh, who gave me the Joshua the nickname, Joshua the Jedi nickname, and we're doing this knife defense drill where if you let the knife touch you, it's a shock knife. It's like a little taser kind of thing. Hmm. And I am deathly afraid of of getting shocked. Like the you know you have people who play that like little shock game where you know you have the you press the button, you get the wrong answer. Yo. I'm like not my thing. Not gonna do it. But <laughs> but uh, I did this with with my friend. Uh, Sifu Singh and and I was afraid, but there's also when you conquer that fear and you you're afraid and you do it anyway. There is a rush. There is okay. I'm alive. Nobody can tell me that I'm fake. There's no faking uh, in surfing. There's no faking in jujitsu. 
And other than fight choreography, there's no faking there. And, and honestly, even in fight choreography, you, you know, I get people who, who dismiss like professional wrestling, for example, as, oh, that's just fake. It's all blah, blah, blah. It's choreography. No, those guys beat the crap out of their bodies right. in order to, to do that stuff. It is absolutely um, – th- those men are specimens. Those women are specimens, the people who do that kind of stuff. And so you doing something that's scary and difficult, that develops that – ch- that is life-changing. And I think one of the things that is profoundly frustrating to me um, is twofold – in terms of the, the size of it. One, um, people who want to, to baby or kind of uh, pad to d- bubble wrap to death the lives of visually impaired people and people in general, but I'll speak to our community in, in specific. They want to make our life safe to the point that we become weak, the point where we become, you know, the big giant globs of, of, uh, human laziness that you find in, in movies like Wally, you know, where basically we're, we're so comfortable in pushing buttons or, or having uh, the a lady do things for us that we don't, we don't learn how to do anything for ourselves. True. You know, do I think one size fits all? No. And do I think that, you know, uh, I'll, I'll call it like it is. I, I think that uh, the NFB and, and the rehabilitation uh, thing, you know, they have some problems, you know, they, they, this sort of, not and it's not just the NFB. You know, I'm sure ACB has their issues too, or whatever. But you have a lot of people that will just dismiss. Uh, you know, like, oh, you're not strong enough because you don't do it this way. That's not what I'm saying. I do think though we try to make things too safe, and we're like, oh, well, that's going to be too hard for you. I'll just do it. Right. So on the one hand, and then on the flip side, those of us who are visually impaired, we like to be comfortable, and we don't challenge ourselves. Do I think that there's anything wrong with using, you know, say your Echo to or you a pizza from Pizza Hut no, or or whatever particular skill it, it can do? No, I don't. I think that's perfectly fine. You people's lives are individual. What somebody makes their choice, that's that's a whole separate issue. What I would argue though is when you let the world be too comfortable, when you let the world be too safe, then it's it becomes flat. There are no hills. There are no valleys. There are no mountains to climb and say, you know, I did this. F and A. And again, I'm trying really hard not to swear, but <laughs> but still, like you, you know, like you're like, damn it, I did this, and I'm going to celebrate the heck out of this. You know, you can do that if you're doing things that are challenging. If you're just going through life, like, oh, that was a nice book. Oh, that was a nice song. Oh, let me watch another next thing on Netflix. Let me do that. There are times where I will um, pig the heck out and I'll watch an entire season of of something. You know, thank you, audio description. Um, yep. But I don't, and, or, or I'll, you know, I'll play Alter Eon. It's a big, giant uh, mud, uh, you know, basically blindy MMO. You know, I I like that too. But if that was my entire life, if my, own, my if my entire existence was surrounded on what type of pizza I got and what show I watched on Netflix and which audiobook I downloaded from Bard, that's why there's an epidemic also of depression and mental illness. You know, is because we the therapeutic nature, uh, the the therapy that comes from doing something that people thought was impossible for you to do, you cannot put that in a pill. You cannot 
fake that. You can't read a book and say, wow, it did that. That has to be something you experience. And if we just kind of let ourselves be passengers in life, we're missing out on so much. So it's not wrong if that's what somebody's life is. But when we let life be too safe, too comfortable, we are missing out on so much of what is out there. Absolutely. Very well said. And I appreciate that insight and, and certainly can relate to a lot of that, as I'm sure a lot of our listeners can. It's, you know, it's it's that finding that that fine line, that balance of wanting to take that risk, but then trying to, you know, avoid those people telling, you no, you can't do that, obviously. So, yeah. And certainly if anybody wants to, you know, I'm only one person, um, but if somebody wants to reach out, you know, hit me up, Joshua at adventuremind.net. You know, we're trying, one of the things we're trying to do right now um, is put together and obviously we'll modify it as necessary given the circumstances, but um, we are building uh, a blind surfing team. So if you are visually impaired, you want to get into surfing, um, we will connect you with people in your area. We have a, a pretty solid network of, I mean, a guy reached out to me from Minnesota. Apparently people surf in the Great Lakes. It's not as great as you have in the ocean. And that takes some extra cojones as far as I'm concerned, you, you oh, know, yeah. uh, with how cold the water is out there. But, um, you know, the, right now we're, as of this current moment, you have me, uh, on the U S team and you have, uh, Shane Lopes, who is in our VI two division. That means he has some usable eyesight. Um, those are the only two visually impaired people we have in the squad. We have other people who have, uh, limb differences or spinal cord injuries that are surfing different divisions and adaptations. There's room for, uh, there's only, you know, one person per division, uh, men and women for the, for the team right now, we do not have a permanent VI one totally blind woman. And we don't have a, uh, VI two, uh, somebody who has partial eyesight, uh, for women for the U S team. And we did have uh, Barbara Pacheco did represent uh, the USA in 2020, just this last year, and in 2018. They didn't have a, a ISA Worlds for 2019. But um, there's time to even right now, if somebody is relatively physically interested, even if you know fit, um, and they've never surfed before but they want to, there's actually time to prepare people even for the competition coming up at the end of this year. And there is. 1000% enough time to train somebody to get them ready for uh, the Paralympics in 2028. It's an early, early uh, stage. We're, we're just in the beginnings of making adaptive surfing uh, and, and parasurfing uh, within reach competition wise for people who are visually impaired. I mean, if somebody wants to just do it for fun, they can do that too. We can get them connected with that. Um, but, you know, definitely if somebody wants to do that, Joshua at uh, adventuremind.net, that's the way we, uh, we can start there. And if, if somebody's interested, they just want to try it. We can make that happen. Awesome. That's, that's great work. And I really look forward to following, uh, the progress of that project. Thank you. Uh, I know in terms of risk taking, I did want to, to touch on, I know you've done skydiving, uh, some yep. different jumps and whatnot. And if you could just kind of maybe summarize in a nutshell, just kind of some of those things you've done and just those, how you've totally. enjoyed those experiences. Absolutely. Uh, so, uh, when I was 18, uh, my dad wasn't getting any younger and I was like, Hey dad, you're not getting any younger. Uh, I don't know. It's like uh, Roddy Dangerfield or something all of a sudden. But, uh, we, uh, 
uh, let's go skydiving. And uh, where I, he lived in Ohio and, and I, and I went back out there to visit him for, um, and we went to a jump school that's out there. And I got to tell you, there is absolutely nothing like, uh, this was a, actually I'll, I'll back up, but uh, it was a static line jump. I didn't do a, a tandem jump where, oh, you know, I where I was on, on somebody's back. It was actually solo. Hmm. Um, but I had uh, radios basically guiding me down once the shoot opened. Wow. Um, and uh, I got to tell you, though, there's absolutely nothing like hearing birds below your feet. <laughs> <laughs> That's amazing. So, so, so once, once you, once you, uh, you know, so, so the way the static line works anyway is you, you, you have a line that's connected between you and the, and the plane. And uh, at least the way it worked for me is I, I kind of climbed out there and I'm hanging from the bottom of the wing strut. So my feet are dangling in the air and, <laughs> you know, the window's open and I look towards the, uh, you kind of turn my head towards the, where the pilot is. And he's like, all right, go. And you're supposed to just let go and kind of put your stomach first. And, uh, and I did, and I was, that was nuts. I've actually done that three times, but that first time, like, what? It's like, oh yeah, I'm supposed to count. <laughs> you're supposed to count. So, you know, when the, when the, the shoot's supposed to open and then, um, they had somebody with the radio, it was just one way I couldn't actually talk to them, but they had a couple of radios around my neck so that I could hear them kind of basically guide me and steering my, uh, my shoot. Cause it's not a round canopy like you see in, in old, you know, paratrooper movies. It's a, sort of like a square canopy where you can kind of adjust. You're basically hang gliding almost on your way down. Right, you know, right. So you can kind of pulling your, your, uh, you know, you have a little handle on either side. And after a while, once you get that initial, you get down below a certain altitude, it's very quiet. It's very calm. It's, it's way different than you would otherwise expect it to be if you had never been. And again, hearing birds tweeting below me was one of the most surreal experiences I've ever had in my entire mm. life. It was, it was pretty out there. Um, so that was, that was probably, I was like, all right, I got to do more of this. Um, <laughs> and then I, I didn't actually do it that many times after, but I definitely have done that. I'm, I'm going to talk to a buddy of mine who has uh, cerebral palsy, who's in a wheelchair. We're talking about going skydiving together cause he's never been. Nice. Um, but uh, so then at the uh, in Las Vegas, there is the uh, big old tall uh, building. I'm blanking on it. The stratosphere that's out there. Big oh, old, yeah. you know, it's probably like I don't know, hundred stories or something, or some some ridiculous height. And um, you know, I've been told because my wife went too, I've been to, and she can see. Uh, she was telling me that you could basically see the entirety of Las Vegas from the the stand where you go up. And so it's not a bungee jump. So it's not like jerky. It's actually pretty safe. Even if somebody had a back problem, they could probably do it safely. But they they put you in a harness. And what they do is they, with the way this is set up is it maxes out your descent. So, so, so basically you go full speed, you know, but then it, it, it can only go, I think at about 45 miles per hour straight down. So once you hit that point, then it kind of, and then it allows them to more smoothly slow you down when you get about a story or two away from the ground. So it's not like a big sudden, huh, you know, you don't <laughs> snap your back and, and things like that. Cause that's uh, my, my back is stronger now, but I had a, some real serious back issues there for a little while. And so I, I didn't want to do something like that where I'd, I'd played in bands and stuff and, and head banging. And so my neck was all jacked up. 
Yep. But um, it was – not going to lie. I kind of screamed like a girl for like the first like second or so. And then I was like – I was like, oh, yeah. Oh, what am I doing? You know. And so it, there is – Apparently, you know, I don't know. I, I guess the the people that that were because you go up in this private elevator uh, separately to go to the very top because there's no shops or anything on the very top level where the the jump stand is uh, of the building, and you know you you put on like a, a jumpsuit and you get your harness on and everything other than the clips when they clip you into the to the rigging uh, before you jump. Um. You, you go up this private elevator. Apparently the one lady had gone and the woman looked down and there was a wet puddle between the woman's legs. She was so afraid that she had actually had a bit of a, an accident. Right. If you will. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, it's, it, it's scary for a lot of people jumping up that high. And I think for me, I, I'm not normal. <laughs> you know, I, I've been wired for adventure all my life and I had been told, Oh, you're not supposed to do this. You're not supposed to do this. And now that I finally know I can do this, then I'm like, well, I'm not getting any younger. I, you know, I would rather do this stuff now at, you know, whatever age I am now, while I still have the body to do it. And so that I can pack away those memories rather than being like 85, 95, whatever age I am when I stop, uh, right. To go, Oh, I, oh, I wish, I wish I would have done that. You know? So, um, that honestly jumping up from that high, that first initial adrenaline, and then there's sort of like this, this nowness. You know, we always keep talking about, and this is true for surfing, but anything where you're doing something scary, there is, um, there's a concept in in Buddhism that uh, called Satori, Zen Buddhism specifically, where you are experiencing the now, right now. It's not yesterday. It's not a moment ago. It's not before, like in a moment from now. It's this. Re- clear and present moment. We talk about mindfulness, being able to breathe in and breathe out, do all that stuff. If you can get to that present moment, there is a beauty to what you do perceive. So like the, the, um, the birds below me, when I jumped out of the plane, the I'm here right now, when I'm falling straight towards the earth, I want to jumped off the stratosphere. Um, there's the, I have to focus so that I don't get shocked with this knife. There is the, okay, I can't think about the wave that I just caught because I'm still on it and I want to keep riding it. You know, any of the stuff that, it, you know, whether it's sparring, any of that stuff, that's, that's really the ultimate goal is to let me experience this moment right now. Make, you know, make friends with the, with change and all the stuff that's happening around me so that I can have the gift of the present. Cause it, I mean, it, it sounds corny, but it is a gift the the moment that you have now you you're never going to get more time you can exactly. get more money you can get more food you can get more whatever it is you're into except you can't have more time and so you know that's what all these crazy adventures and things that I do are all about is is being able to make the most of the time that I have for however long I have whether it's a little bit of time or whether it's decades Right. That's, that's awesome advice. And like you were saying before, so many people just kind of go through life, you know, lollygagging around and just kind of going through the motions, but there's, there's so much out there, no matter what situation you're in or physically, mentally, I mean, there's, there's really something for everyone. It's just, it's finding that niche and finding what you really enjoy and, and really pursuing it. And, and, and I do want to speak to something and, you know, depending on how this gets edited on the other side, you know, feel free. But I, I, I want to make sure that 
um, people don't think I'm that I'm perfect because I'm not. You know, I've been really pu- public on my social media about talking about my personal uh, mental health struggles. So in uh, 2017, I was diagnosed with uh, PTSD and major depression, and that makes sense because I was miserable through the time that I did a lot of good work doing technology and stuff, but I wasn't, I, I wasn't being really myself fully and doing all the stuff that I, that I do. It's, it's my therapy. I have really, really bad days and really bad periods. You know, I had a, I had a hernia late last year and I did surf and I did have a surf comp, uh, video submission surf contest, two of them while I was injured, both before and after surgery, which kind of nuts in its own right. But having to limit how much activity I did didn't help. Uh, and definitely having to stay at home and having so many things shut down, it really affected me this last year. And there have been times both bef- before the pandemic and even you know since then where I didn't want to get out of bed. Um, maybe I let myself drink a little bit too much. Um, you know, Maybe I kind of went off the rails you know, waking up with nightmares and stuff. So, I mean, I don't want anybody to think that, oh, I've got it all dialed in. I I have a lot of things dialed in, but, you know, I'm human like anybody else. And I have my times where I don't handle things well. And that's why stacking the deck in your favor, we talked about that before with, with martial arts and stuff, stacking the deck in your favor as far as life, you do those things that are meaningful to you. You find those ways, maybe it's uncomfortable to get up and go for a walk, or maybe it's uncomfortable to get on that exercise bike. But for me, you know, that helps me to be less prone to depression later. You know, I might really want to get S faced and, and get, you know, drink a whole six pack and maybe some whiskey and whatever it is. And, you know, and, and kind of enjoy that fun buzz. Well, that's good. And that's, there's, I don't think there's even anything wrong with that by itself. But for me, if I get, go too far down that road, I wake up the next day and have panic attacks all day. And so yeah. I have to make sure that I do what's good for me on the long run. And that's, that's the same thing for anybody else. So I, I just want to be really clear that, yeah, I have the Joshua, the Jedi nickname. And yeah, I, I, I do push that sort of larger than life thing sometimes, but I'm not perfect. I'm, I don't want anybody to get a, a false picture of, of that. Oh man, that guy's amazing. He does all this stuff. No, I, I got struggles. I'd, you know, I got bills I haven't paid. I got, you know, I got all all kinds of stuff going on that that isn't isn't sorted out completely. But my life is more worth it now that I'm doing that stuff on purpose. Right, and I, I definitely appreciate your transparency and, and sharing that because mental health in general is not talked about enough. I mean, it's it's I think it's gotten better. There's definitely more awareness, but there's still a huge lack of that. So I appreciate that. Well, and there's- for sure. And there's a stigma, right? People assume oh, yeah. it's contagious. And it's like, oh, if I be nice to somebody who's depressed, that means I'm going to catch this. Right. right. You know, it's like, I mean, there is something to be said. You do tend to absorb the mood of the people you surround yourself with. But, you know, it's like, don't pretend it doesn't exist. You know, like, acknowledge <laughs> that, that that this is a thing that people deal with. Exactly. And like you mentioned before about the the prior coach you had had and surrounding yourself with the right people is yep. obviously a big thing, too. Absolutely. Cool. All right. Uh, so to wrap up here, I did want to just give you the chance to mention any social media, maybe your email address again, if how people can uh, can reach out to you. Absolutely. So um, probably the biggest thing for right now, um, and we're going to be kind of fleshing out the side a little bit more, uh, adventuremind.net 
is the website for the podcast and for uh, the movement and initiatives as we grow them. Um, had a little bit of a hiatus over the holidays, but uh, just uh, recording with a bunch of people coming up this um, coming up. If you go back though, there's a whole bunch of interviews there. Uh, you can search for Adventure Mind podcast with Joshua Loya in you know Spotify and Apple Music, all that kind of stuff. Um, you know, there's interviews with comedians or will be. Uh, and there's interviews. We had John Hackleman, who's a uh, MMA trainer, uh, trained Chuck Liddell from the UFC. We had mm-hmm. Tiffany Timebomb, Van Seust, who's the Glory World Kickboxing Champion. I think she just had a fight last night as of oh, this wow. recording. Uh, we've had uh, surfers and, and different people. Um, so we have some some really interesting stories coming up with some veterans coming up the next that we're, we're going to be recording next week. So check that out. Uh, my social media, I hate Instagram. I really do because it's because vi- it's visual, yep. uh, but I do post there occasionally. So at Joshua the Jedi, and then uh, most of the posts that I put up on Instagram will uh, sync out to my Facebook page. That is becoming a little bit easier to uh, to navigate uh, again at Joshua the Jedi, and then on on Twitter at Servant Warrior. And uh, well, well, there's all the the details probably at AdventureMind.net. But that's probably the best way to do it. And if you want to do the, you want again to. Uh, martial arts or surfing, you just want to hit me up and send me an email, joshua at adventuremind.net. Awesome. Very cool. And I can certainly include uh, links and all that info in the show notes. Cool deal. Uh, for everyone Happy to too. have. Awesome. Cool. Alrighty. Well, uh, again, we've been speaking with Joshua the Jedi Lawyer here on uh, Ice Free Sports. And Josh, really, really appreciate the time. Appreciate your insight. Uh, thanks so much for joining us. Yeah, thanks for having me. It was fun. Sure to follow the Eyes Free Sports podcast at facebook.com slash eyes free sports and on Twitter at eyes free sports. Mm-hmm.